today our, our thoughts do turn to God, a God that we can know in so many ways that it's hard for us to really put a formula with it. In our call to worship from Psalm 29, we, we heard of this God of glory who sits on a throne and who reigns in love over the stormy waters, over the chaotic waters that we all know appear in our lives from time to time. This king divine who gives strength and peace to his people. That very last stanza in the psalm said, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. And today we acknowledge it's a peace with justice. But we have another text for us this day that also has this imagery of God on a throne as a, as a royal kingly God. And Isaiah says it this way, in the year that King Uzziah died, that's an earthly king, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that, this, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom, who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. That's a very famous passage and a lot of great hymnody. Here I am, Lord, here I am, here I am. In this text, we see that Isaiah has made a decision and the decision that he has made is a decision of how he's going to live his life. His life is going to be lived with obedience to the Lord of hosts, the Lord enthroned. This God that we celebrate today as three in one has asked, who will go for us? Who are the us there? Is it the three persons of the Trinity? Is it the whole heavenly council? Who will go for us? And by stepping up and saying, me, here I am, send me, Isaiah is committing to a life that will not be selfish, a life lived not to, to just create his own comfort or to please his own interests, but instead to live for a higher calling. And as we know, the life of a prophet or a missionary or a minister or a disciple of Jesus Christ is not always easy. No, when things get tough, there is this temptation to run to comfort, to try and find an easier path. There is something about us that we are bent to our creature comforts. And the Apostle Paul knew this very well. 
And the church that he was writing to in Rome were battling with this as well. And so Paul has this text that I'm going to read to us in five different segments. I'm going to unpack them a little bit, but we're going to see all three persons of the Trinity in this little text. And so Paul writes, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I want just to leave that up there for right now. One common or modern uh, contemporary translator said it this way. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There is nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life new life, a life that is possible with this spirit. With it comes life and peace. Without this spirit, death is inevitable. We can either live by it or we can live against it. And we know that by allowing ourselves to be led by the spirit or to be guided by the spirit as a living force indwelling us, the spirit becomes an active force shaping who we are and shaping what we do as God's people. When we make the decision to turn away from sin's appeal in and through the power of the Holy Spirit regarding sin as death, then no matter what temptation comes our way, we can claim victory over it. But Paul continues. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? What does it say? They are children of God, children of God. That contemporary uh, pastor says, God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. And so we have to ask, what does it mean to be led by the spirit? The spirit is oftentimes just described as a wind, but we don't want to be the kind of person that just goes whichever direction the wind blows. Who knows where we might end up, but to be led by God's spirit means to have changed our future to change our future from death to life everlasting, to change our relationship to a relationship with God that is not rebellion, but is instead obedience. It is to have changed our status from a rebellious enemy to the way of good news and instead to become a beloved child. When I look out at all of you, that's what I see. Beloved children of the God of love. But Paul continues on. He says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Adoption. The contemporary theologian says, This this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want to live an adventurously expectant kind of life, guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. But this adoption, who knows very much about what adoption rules and laws were in ancient Roman culture? Well, there's some scholars that do. And what they taught me this week is that in the Roman culture, the person adopted lost all rights of his old family and gained the rights of a legitimate child in his new family. He becomes a legitimate and full heir to the father's estate. 
a full heir. Under Roman law, the adopted child was guaranteed all the legal rights of his father's property, even if he was formerly a slave. He had the same rights and privileges as other biological children. He was never once seen as a second-class son or daughter. The one adopted uh, is exactly like all the others and cannot be disinherited. And I can't tell you how much pain I have heard from people who have been disinherited in any number of ways and for any number of reasons. But we are told that we are adopted by God, that we are brought into God's family. And so when a person becomes a Christian, that person, he or she gains all the privileges and all the responsibilities of a child in God's family. We are liberated, of course. And so this is great good news. You are not an orphan, a black sheep, or someone from a broken family lineage. You have a new family, a wonderful, diverse family, and you have a new older brother, your big brother, Jesus who is also Lord and Savior. What a wonderful and great promise that we are given by God to be God's children. It's written about in the letter of John, 1 John 3, 1, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. But on this Peace with Justice Sunday, we know that when we see others When we see the other as God's children too, we communicate with them differently. If I can look at you and see that you are my sibling in God's love, my sibling through the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to look at you differently. You are no longer simply going to be problematic in my life because you are my brother, you are my sister. You may behave poorly, but I do too. I have a great capacity to do that. You may be difficult to be with at times, but we are together God's children. Whether we are needy or not, we draw near to one another because we are siblings through the love of Christ. And if we have been inherited or adopted into this great inheritance, we call God something different. And so Paul continues in this text when he says, when we cry... Can we go to the next slide? When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so I love it when Peterson writes this. We greet God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know that we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. But yes, there is a peace when we acknowledge God as our father, mother of us all. On my very first Christmas Eve with you, I'm sure everyone remembers every single word I spoke my very first Christmas Eve worship service here. I told a story about a single dad. His wife died unexpectedly, and he was left to raise this small son all by himself. And one night, the baby just cried out, Daddy! 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 And the father woke up and and said, Come into my bed, son. And the the child crawled into bed with his dad, and the dad said, It's going to be okay. I miss mommy, I miss mommy too. Go to sleep, son. 
And the son said, Daddy, as long as you're looking at me, I think I can sleep. And he did. And the dad waited until, until he could hear the heavy breathing and he looked out into the starry night and said a prayer to a father God who had adopted him. And in the same language as his own son spoke to him, he spoke to God in the heavens and said, as long as you're watching me, I can go on. As long as you're watching me, I can go on. Brothers and sisters, whenever we cry out, Abba, Father, whether it's in times of fear or joy or confession or thanksgiving or praise or simply the desire to be close, we are opening our lives to God and we are taking our place in the life of God. We are acknowledging what already is, that God is present, that God will and does respond, and that God's first answer to us, if we are asking the right questions, seeking the right way, is always going to be yes. Now, that doesn't mean that we always get what we want. Don't we know that to be true? We don't always get what we want. But God's yes means that God opens God's life to us. Ultimately, God himself is the answer to our deepest and most profound needs and requests. Maybe the Rolling Stones did get it right. You can't get, always get what you want, but you get what you need. Get what we need. God is the one in whom we live, in whom we move, and in whom we have our being. And that means that we are born from above born from above, when we cry out, Abba, Father, we are claiming and seeking birth from above. It means we take our place in the life of the Trinity. And the Trinity is mystery. And in the mystery of Trinitarian life, all that we are and all that we have become is one shared life. A shared life life. We are forever opening ourselves up to receive the life of another and pouring ourselves into the lives of another. Abba, Father, does not simply describe who God is. Abba, Father, describes how God is. And so this writing to this church in Rome in this passage that we have today ends with this last sentence. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And so Eugene Peterson translates it this way. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. The good times with him. Suffer with him. Whenever the believer may suffer, it pales in comparison with what the believer ultimately stands to gain like the prophet Isaiah there in that heavenly throne room, he knew that the road was not going to be easy, and yet he still stepped up and said, here I am, send me. So too should we as members of the household of God say, here I am. Yes, it's not going to be easy, but the reward is going to be great and eternal. Everyone has a need to belong, and in this God, three in one, God has established a brand new home for us. We are family. To be a member of a family means one shares with others a common life and shared mutual interdependence. God, through the Spirit, treats us not just act like family, but actually unites us as family. We belong to God's family. And so I think that's why so often we hear the phrase, the church family. 
The church family, to compare the Christian community to a family means one must bring the same expectations, the same love, and the same patience to our fellow Christians in the church that one would bring to the members of our own immediate family, which means we protect ourselves from those attributes that destroy family, an uncaring disregard for the other, selfishly ignoring the needs of each other, or a preoccupation with ourself at the expense of, of consideration for the other. Everyone has a need to belong, and belong we do. This God, three in one, establishes a new home for us. Now, if you go home tonight, and you know, it's a holiday weekend, so you, you can stay up late reading your Bible. And so if you stay up late tonight, and you're reading your entire Bible, nowhere are you going to hear the term or read the term Trinity. You can't find it in the scripture. Still, we have seen in our text this morning that there are indications of the experiences of God that give rise to the doctrine. God is encountered in so many different ways that the human language must find ways to express the reality of what those encounters really bring with it. Matter of fact, Trinity, didn't, that word didn't even really exist until Tertullian in the year uh, 200 or 205 said he talked about the trinity of god actually it was in 2000 or did i say 2000 213 long time ago the year 213 and it wasn't until the year 325 at the council at nicaea that the official trinity language was put together our brothers and sisters who worship kitty corner from us christ episcopalian church at each and every service the congregation gathered recites the nicene creed we're more of the Apostles' Creed here. But on this Trinity Sunday, I would like us to join our voices together in lifting up the Nicene Creed. And here it is. So let's say it in one voice. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. You can imagine how hard it was to get that ratified into one, one statement. But friends, 
these passages that were read today, but most especially what Paul wrote to the church in Rome, it was chosen for Trinity Sunday because it describes the work of all three persons in the Trinity. Christ restores us to right relationship with God. The Holy Spirit leads us and bears witness in our hearts. The Father adopts us as children and heirs. And so Paul is more concerned with describing what the Godhead does than with its identity. The equality, mutuality, and interdependence within the Trinity form the nucleus of a new family to which all believers are adopted. And so, yes, friends, this Trinity empowers us to be the people of Christ that truly work for peace with justice. And so let me end this sermon with a prayer. Would you pray with me? Everlasting God, you have revealed yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, and ever live and reign in the perfect unity of love. Grant that we, your adopted children, may always hold firmly and joyfully to this faith, and living in praise of your divine majesty, may finally be one in you, in you who are three persons in one God, forever and ever. Amen.